1: Hello and welcome into another 3 Ma Pod. I am John Kurtz, joined as always by Derek Young, you know him from K-State Online, and Cole Manbeck, you know him, former beat writer for the Manhattan Mercury and has covered the Cats for a while. All right, we're here today at kind of a mashup of a lot of things. We're going to take some of your questions for the first time. We decided to, uh, you know, be nice and let you guys in on the pod. Probably should have done that sooner, but uh, you guys gave us some good questions. We're ready to tackle that. Really a lot of recruiting right now. Football recruiting is heating up. This is the biggest football recruiting month that K-State has maybe ever had under Chris Kleiman. Um, Maybe that's a question that we kick around here on the pod today. So we'll get you updates on Avery Johnson, Joe Otting, Dylan Edwards, and, hey, a Randall in the fold as well. K-State may be after the top two prospects in the state of Kansas now. But before we get into that, I do want to remind everybody, please go enjoy some 360 Vodka from Holiday Distillery. Or if vodka isn't your thing but you're more of a bourbon guy, check out the new Ben Holiday Bottled and Bond Bourbon that has been released by Holiday Distillery. All the reviews that I've seen so far are pretty rave of this stuff. So make sure that you get your hands on that. Whatever it is that you're celebrating. We don't have any games really to watch at this point, but uh, stock up on that for the fall as well when the football season comes back around. Appreciate Holiday Distillery and 360 Vodka and everything that they do to support the pod and us here on KCSN. Okay, so... We had to pivot a little bit today. We have a pretty cool guest lined up for you guys that I I believe we'll be able to get on next week. We had uh, scheduling conflict there and got that moved to next week, but look for that coming up. Uh, So we do have that to change it up a little bit right now. But as far as what we have on the docket today, we're going to start with a lot of football and a lot of football recruiting because, Derek, I mentioned this. I think I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I've heard you say this. It is an extremely important recruiting month for K-State with a lot of decisions potentially coming down by the end of June. How would you characterize where, let's see, this is June 9th that we're recording. How would you characterize how the first nine days of this month have gone for, uh, for K-State approaching this, this monumental month?
2: it just feels like everything's still simmering a little bit because um, and then it's not a knock but it's largely kind of been uneventful like positive developments and uh, one negative one with Joe Otting picking Notre Dame but positive developments where you feel like you're building it still feels like they are building towards something rather than getting the, the actual result yet so uh, I I just feels like it's still simmering we haven't had uh, a real big explosion of what this month could ultimately provide. And and it kind of makes me wonder, you, you know, all these official visits are going to be happening this month to make it a pretty, you know, jam packed June for Kansas state on the recruiting trail. But I wonder if some of the tangible, I guess, results or outcomes maybe not, maybe won't be felt in, until July in some cases. Now in, in the case of Avery Johnson, I, I think, He really does and is insistent on making his college decision before the Elite 11 Finals, which begin in Los Angeles on June 28th. But in general, you know, I wonder if some of the, you know, I guess the results that people – people aren't really waiting on these visits, right, the fans. that They're waiting on the actual commitments. And other than Johnson, I wonder if most of these just leak into July as guys take a little bit of time to almost, uh, you know, unwind a little bit and, and almost debrief what their June visits uh, gave them in terms of information.
1: So when you say these recruitments are going to leak in, we're talking what? Dylan Edwards, who else would be on that list that you expect to, to leak in?
2: Yeah. I mean, Dylan, Dylan Edwards is, is an obvious one. And he actually is straight up said, you know, he's my, he's probably looking at a mid July decision, And they have so many guys coming back, coming that last month uh, or that last weekend of June, June 24th to 26th, which is the last weekend that teams can host official visitors until the the first game of the season in September. So that's why they're kind of backlogged there. But when you think of that date, uh, what do you you got here? Uh, Jamal Roberts, uh, another running back target, Donovan McIntosh at corner. Uh, Linebacker K McIntyre will be there uh, around that weekend as well. Josh Manning's taken – he's a big-time wide receiver, right? A four-star wide receiver, has a pretty good bond with Avery Johnson. He's from the Lee Summit area. He's taken all five official visits. I think his last one is Missouri that last weekend, that the weekend of June 24th and June. So he's another one where maybe the decision doesn't quite happen until July. I don't know that Kansas State's really sitting in the top seat but free state offensive tackle, you know, free state has this offensive tackle trend, right. With Turner and Scott France, and now they have Calvin Clements. I imagine his kind of seeps into July a bit and he'll be picking between KU, K state and, and Baylor. So there, I mean, there's several of them to pick from. Just take your pick, maybe blue Valley receiver, Andre Davis. Um, I don't think his visits really wrap up until near the end of June. And he'll, I think he's between Iowa, Iowa state and Kansas state. So, um, Yeah, take your pick um, of who it is. Other than Avery Johnson, outside of him, there is a chance, most of them, if not all, that they're kind of waiting on that will make summer decisions could seep into July, just the the ultimate outcome anyways.
1: John Randall, John Randall Jr., is he on that list of recruitments that will slide into July?
2: That one could slide into the fall still, right? I don't know that he's he hasn't taken one fall, okay. he hasn't taken one official visit yet. So it just that doesn't seem like an accelerated timeline. Just speaking on what he has done so far, his visit to K State, what was it, a week or two ago, was an unofficial. Um, Kansas State's well into that race, well more than we ever thought they might be, obviously. And if you look at visits, you wonder if they they might not be in the top seat, and especially with some chatter around his recruitment, but it just hasn't operated in a fashion that would really scream a summer decision.
1: And then for those who are, I would say unfamiliar with the name, I would imagine most K state fans are pretty familiar, unfortunately with the name John Randall, (laughs) because man, I I will never forget freaking John Randall's role in 2004, ending at that time, the the streak that Bill Snyder had going against Kansas, witnessing that game in Lawrence, one of the worst moments in my life. But uh, yeah, John Randall was a big part of that. This is his, his son, Like John Randall's son, I mean, good God, I feel very old, but yes, John Randall's son, who arguably the top player in the state, I mean, depending on who you ask between he and Avery Johnson and came out of nowhere, all of a sudden visiting uh, an unofficial visit to K-State. He's taken an unofficial to Texas, I believe as well, right? Uh, Anything else we need to know about this recruitment right now?
2: I was going to say, I think he posed with B. John Robinson in front of a Lamborghini or something on on his unofficial visit to Texas. That makes sense. Yeah, so I think this is what you run into on recruiting anymore. So, Um, yeah, arguably, I mean, I would probably still lean Avery Johnson, but you're probably splitting hairs there a little bit. And I think for me, I almost lean towards QB value versus running back value and just to decide that debate, and that's why I tend to – Flock towards Johnson being the top guy but Kansas State's in the mix for both so you you have to like that and for Randall and I think this is kind of probably more well-known information now so I mean it's worth sharing I think his father obviously being in the Wichita area Taylor Bratt growing up around there I think that they grew up together so that's a connection and then remember John Randall left Kate um had to leave KU I believe and went to Southern Illinois and his position coach at the time Brian Anderson at Southern Illinois now the Kansas State running backs coach so that's an interesting nugget in this recruitment too that kind of draws more familiarity between the two sides
1: well there's a there's a lot to break down here I guess on Avery Johnson to kind of close the book on that I I know there's been a little bit of worry about what's going on with Oregon because well what's that (laughs)
2: Just you, you're the you're the paranoid one. You read everything and it all spooks you the the entire I, time. Uh,
1: listen, I I am Derek. Read your message boards. I am not the only one that is uh, paranoid about Avery Johnson because we've just seen it too many times, man. And it, you know, even a lot of these national recruiting experts um, on three, I forget that guy's name, but you know, I mean, he was. They, they kind of acknowledge that K State is the leader, but that Oregon is now pushing harder because of where it appears that they stand with is it Anthony Rashada. Uh, Jaden you know, Rashada. Yep, Jaden Rashada. I'm sorry, Jaden Rashada was one of the elite quarterback prospects that sounded like Oregon was in the driver's seat for a while, but not anymore. So, I, how how worried should we be?
2: Yeah, I mean, Jaden Rashada is probably Oregon, Florida, or Texas A&M, but there is Dante Moore, five-star quarterback out of Detroit, um, who was thought to be a Notre Dame lock, and then now we, you know, we're hearing that, I and mean, it might have already happened by the time folks listen to this. Notre Dame's probably going to land a 2024 five-star quarterback from that same area, and C.J. Carr, um, also from Michigan. And if that last name is familiar from Michigan, it's because it should be. It's Lloyd Carr's grandson, which mm. if you're a Michigan fan, your skin has to crawl to think Lloyd Carr's grandson's going to pick Notre Dame over you. Um, that's wild to me. But that's a 2024 five-star. So that'll likely, some people think, affect Dante Moore's recruitment a 2023 five-star to where Notre Dame's probably no longer the favorite. Now, could that push him to Oregon? It's, that's definitely possible as well. Um, that doesn't mean Oregon isn't going to make a push for Avery Johnson when he's in Eugene, you know, the weekend of June 17th when he makes that official visit, obviously visiting Kansas State this weekend. Um, they would, but from everything I've heard, they might still push um, for Dante more after that and not be afraid to take a two-quarterback class. Would Avery Johnson be receptive to that? I don't know. Um, I would think that would be a hard sell, but you just never know in recruiting anymore, um, especially if you have other, you know, good opportunities on the table. And I think Avery Johnson really values the opportunity at K State. All in all, I guess I would summarize this as: I don't think it, you know, I know he there were comments made about his Washington visit when he was asked and or in his family was asked about that. Obviously, they raved about that trip as well. He went, he visited Washington last weekend. But from my standpoint, over the course of the last two or three months, I don't think this recruitment has changed a whole lot. I, I think other schools have changed maybe their level of pursuit, interest, um, how hard they're pushing and stuff. But I just don't think that the dynamics from Avery Johnson's standpoint have changed a whole lot. I think it's remained pretty status quo, which is favorable to K State for quite some time.
3: What are what are the chances, DY, that Kansas State could close? This week on Avery, and not allow that Oregon visit to occur and
1: get a commitment secured.
2: Yeah, I never say never, but I I just don't see that as being part of the plan. I I think
1: this is why I'm paranoid. Why you won't tell me what I want to hear?
2: <laughs> right. I mean, they would love that to happen. Don't get me wrong, but it just I uh, if that was the case, you would have thought maybe you just. You know, if he went into that with that thought in mind, but would it scheduled Kansas State after Oregon? Although I think it's in front of the Oregon visit just because he wanted to have his visits done by a certain timetable. So I don't think it's anything to be alarmed about. But I just – he's been pretty thorough, pretty calculated. Him getting swept up in a visit and and canceling another just doesn't seem like his MO.
3: Well, uh, You know, speaking of Joe Odding, I mean – how much does that sting, D.Y.? Obviously, that's a guy K-State invested a lot of time in for the past year. Notre Dame, this is a life of recruiting. It would frustrate the heck out of me, but K-State offered him more than a year ago. Notre Dame comes in a month ago. Now they have him committed. Uh, any surprises there? And I, I know they were a huge threat. Were you surprised he went ahead and pulled the trigger? And and Do you think there's any shot K-State gets Avery that they eventually could flip him back?
2: Yeah, those are all good questions. Uh, pretty loaded. Uh, <laughs> in in a sense of being surprised, not in general, just because not only is there the the Catholic um, side of this, Joe Otting plays there and goes to Hayden Catholic in Topeka, so obviously Notre Dame's going to hold some more clout than any other program because it's probably built very similar, and that's the mecca if you're really honed in in, in that realm. So, in that capacity, not surprised surprised that he didn't go ahead and visit Kansas state a little bit. And as you said, that's the type of recruitment that gives coaches gray hairs and makes them probably want to coach in the NFL instead, because the NFL is different and the NFL draft is, you know, you, you kind of pick and choose and it's almost like a three or four month process, not a 12 month process, not a 24 month process only to get your heart ripped out and have to reassess your, your needs. And, um, who else you would, who, who you want next, so to speak. So yeah, that's the type of agreement that makes co- makes coaches not want to be in college. Um, that's tough. That's a tough pill to swallow. The sting factor, you know, if Connor Riley wasn't so good at his job, I would say the sting factor is pretty high um, because like you said, they invested a lot of time. He's a heck of a prospect. He's from, from the state and you kind of wanted to start June with that, with a plus and not a negative. Right. So I think ultimately that's where the sting factor would come in at because you you don't want to. But in the back of your mind, the PTSD that Kurtz, you know, spoke about not too long ago, kind of creeps in. Right. And says, oh, here we go again. But I mean, the, like
1: 2020, like Turner Court, it just it makes me the, feel the, like Turner Court. Yeah, but like the, it's Horton different on for He's so just, long and then it, it tilts to Nebraska
2: yeah and this still feels different because we're so far along in the process and that was just like you got wiped out so early you weren't really competitive and those kids all made decisions what february and march um at least it felt that way so now we're still in june this feels a little bit different so that's where the stink factor comes in maybe the ptsd and like oh here we go again because if joe otting does pick kansas state you probably feel like okay this isn't this is different um now you're still having to talk yourself into it being different so but ultimately with connor riley being it, it really not mattering what month of the year it is and still being able to cobble together a pretty good offensive line class and and to build that room out the way that he has done um whether it be andrew line gang i mean Jalen clem was landed in december one of their best commits of the entire class john Pastori, one of their best commits of the entire class wasn't even offered yet at this time of the year last year so the sting factor relents a little bit to me just because Connor Riley has a history of being able to recover pretty well, land the guys that still makes sense for him. And then what tournament, all Americans, that's what you which which what you already have in Cooper BB. I think they feel like Andrew Linegangs kind of falling into the, the same route. So uh, it stings because of where you are, how much time you invested didn't it be in it being the in-state kid and you wanted to get started hot, but it's things less because offensive line just isn't a position where anyone really concerns himself over when it comes to Kansas state. Yeah,
3: I would agree with that. I mean, that I think it's a great point that you hit on with Connor Riley. If there's one position group that I'm not too concerned with missing on a kid, obviously would have loved to have had awning. I, I think Connor Riley will find other dudes and develop them and build quality depth up front. So not a huge concern there to me. And to most K-State fans, I know you guys would agree avery obviously has to be priority number one because if you can get avery johnson in the fold then a lot a lot of other dominoes potentially fall i mean he's he seems like he's just so influential in the recruitment of so many other guys and you know dudes want to play with other talented kids right and so the receivers that k-state's chasing that would certainly be beneficial and help them john randall dylan edwards etc at the running back position so you know, Kansas State, I I know they are. I mean, they gotta press as hard as they can to to get Avery Johnson in the fold, and, and then it'll be a lot of fun after that, I would think, from a recruiting perspective, watching some of the other dominoes fall in K-State's favor.
2: No, yeah, no, no pressure, uh, Kansas State coaches, or or I guess specifically Colin Klein, but this one recruitment's probably gonna dictate the direction of almost your entire class.
1: Yeah, it is, and and thus why I'm on pins and needles about it, okay. Um, two questions that I have coming out of that. Uh, one, we're we're talking about Connor Riley and I I completely agree with you guys on the offensive line thing. Like if there's one coach on this staff who's proven time and again, he'll be able to turn over rocks and and find good prospects and stock up his room with talent and then be able to coach those guys up when they're actually out on the field. Like Connor Riley has done that in spades. How much pursuit has there been of him by other schools? And I, I, you know, like I hate to bring that up. I love the guy. Love the guy for reasons on and off the football field. But, I, you know, he seems like he's doing a hell of a job. I just – have there ever been any whispers about him being pursued by others?
2: No, no, you know, nothing that I can, like, technically confirm, like, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Like, it would surprise me if there was an overture or some kind of, like, you know, a knock on the door to just see gauge interest. I think people would be pretty – Naive not to if they had that position open. And, and I do wonder, and and maybe it happened, maybe it didn't, but I do wonder if at one point when Nebraska was filling those spots, if they inquired, because he obviously he grew up in that area as well. So, yeah, I don't know. I will say he's incredibly loyal to, to, uh, to the institution that he's always working for. I remember uh, we went to the FCS National Championship game Um, after Chris Kleiman had been hired at Kansas State just to speak to those coaches, whether Chris Kleiman, of course, but we also wanted to speak with Courtney Messingham, Connor Riley, Jason Ray, and Joe Kleinerman because those were the four coaches leaving Fargo for Manhattan. And we went to speak with them um, after they had won the national title, Um, not necessarily before. We did get to talk to Chris Kleiman before and after. Um, And we did get to speak with all of them except for Connor Riley because he didn't feel like he should be talking to us yet because he felt like he was still, you know, still owed something to those players, even though he just coached his last game and won a national title. He wanted all of his focus and everything to be on those players still and that institution still. And, and I think if you consider it that way, then, you know, that's an incredibly loyal person that, that kind of puts the right things first at the right time. And I think it would also be hard for him to leave – for what would normally probably be a parallel job, right? I I think if if he's picking being an offensive line coach for Chris Kleiman and being an offensive line coach for someone else, and I know the money might be pretty different um, in some cases, I just don't know that he really wants to uh, mess with a good thing, and I think he would consider what he has right now a good thing.
3: You know why I wasn't concerned about Nebraska? Do Because I think Connor. Because it's career suicide to go work with Scott Frost. I think. Uh, would, <laughs> I think he likes to win, and I think he likes to go to bowl games, and that's why he didn't go to Nebraska.
2: Well, just like Adrian Martinez, what he said recently. I I see where you're plugging away from. I also think, and, I, and it also surprised me why some of the coaches did agree to come on with them. I mean, when um, what's their AD's name? Trev Alberts took away, you know, basically that buyout. I mean, I think that was just like a you know, a blinking red light, like, Hey, this might be only one year left. So I wouldn't,
3: I would not have gone and worked for him. He he threw his assistants under the bus with how he handled that when they fired the assistants late in the year. And then he made those public comments about how he was having to invest so much time because it basically he just, he rolled the bus over them. You know, I, I, It was a career-saving move or job-saving move by him. I get, like, you know, they probably pressured him, like, hey, you're gone if you don't fire these guys. But then his comments afterwards, there's no way I'm going to go to Nebraska and work for Scott Frost at that point if I'm a qualified coach that has a lot of other great opportunities.
1: Well, I I never would go work for Scott Frost for a number of reasons, but one of which is that I struggle in the cold, and if I can't wear a hoodie on the sideline, I mean, I'm out. So... You know, Connor Riley probably wants to be able to wear hoodies. He wants to reserve that right, and uh, you know, Scott Frost is the only one who can wear hoodies. Nobody else can. He'll literally do press conferences in hoodies, complaining about people wearing hoodies. So, um, we've done enough Nebraska bashing. I actually have a little bit of that uh, coming up here in a second, but I, I want to. This is one common recruiting question that I've seen a lot, DIY, whether it's on your boards or on Twitter, with. John Randall all of a sudden now being legitimately in the fold here when before it was thought K-State was not really involved in that recruitment. With Dylan Edwards, how does that affect Dylan Edwards if it does at all? And then would K-State take both? Or is it a possibility? Maybe the better way to ask that, I think, obviously, you take both. Is it a possibility that both would would then come?
2: I think you definitely take both. Um, Would they be willing? You know what? I would think – because look at all the other schools they're considering, right? Dylan Words thinking about Oklahoma, Oregon, Nebraska, um, John Randall is Texas. Um, I'm pretty sure they're gonna load up and probably have another really talented running back in their class too. So it's almost like you're not really gonna have that choice. Because I think yeah. if you go somewhere else, it, and like even if Kansas State kind of presents that opportunity, if you go somewhere else, it's going to be a similar opportunity, right? So it's hard to hard to say. I mean Oklahoma is I think they're hosting the number one running back in the entire country this weekend so I mean is is playing with john Randall or being in the same class with John Randall really you know an obstacle when if you go to Oklahoma you have to play with the best running back in the entire country for his class i don't i don't know I guess so we'll see maybe because maybe it's just like you you kind of want to separate from each other because of that and if that's the case I agree I just haven't picked up on that but if it's about being scared about playing with someone else in the same class, that's pretty freaking good too. It's just like considering the options that both both of those are considering, I think that's going to be something that you're going to have to deal with regardless of where you go.
1: It's a good point. It's a very good point. That's why they pay you the big bucks. Uh, you know, on, on along these lines, we've been talking about recruiting, and if you're wanting to hear about basketball, don't worry. We will talk some basketball. It's coming up in the portion where we we let you guys ask some questions. We got a basketball question there, so we will talk – a little bit about where recruiting is at uh, a little bit later on. But our last podcast, we went through like, hey, how did K-State overnight turn into like a media darling and a dark horse, seemingly consensus dark horse across the college football world to to win the Big 12 or at least play for a Big 12 championship? There was some more love that got thrown out this week on that front. But it surrounds NFL draft prospects because Matt Miller, who is an ESPN draft analyst, um he tweeted out, looking at the Kansas State 2023 draft prospects, they might be a handful in the Big 12 this year. So, you know, further confirmation along those lines. And it just felt like, I mean, in K-State circles, I think we had all been kind of feeling that and sensing that and believing that now it's leaked out everywhere else. And I don't mean to turn this again into like 20 questions on DY, but you you are the talent evaluator here. Uh, How good are the draft prospects for K-State in
2: 2023? Yeah, I I would say that, Felix Andy DK Uzama is probably their best one. Um, I know some would want to point to mm-hmm. Cooper Bibi and maybe there's an argument to be had and and you know this upcoming season might you know give us those answers. But at the and at the end of the day, I just think that Felix Andy DK Uzama, I think, is going to be a pretty consensus top five defensive end in the next draft class, which means he's definitely going to come out. So, you know, probably shouldn't have any you know, wishes about him returning to Kansas State. I, I think everyone should be under the assumption this is going to be his last year. But I think he's the best one. And that's probably, I mean, this isn't a wide Hubert situation. He's going to be in contention to be a first-round pick if he lives up to the hype this season. I mean, wow. it's, it's okay. that simple, I would say. He's going to be in contention for it. Now, he could leak into the second round. It might be a little bit like a Dalton Reisner situation where he's borderline first, second round. I think that's probably where his wheelhouse will ultimately be, but um, that's where he is. And then I think your next one is probably either Cooper Beebe or Deuce Vaughn. I would say, I don't know that it's a certainty that Cooper Beebe will be in that draft class. I think he'd have to be, you know, projected and comfortably projected pretty high to come out. And I think that's typically the case for offensive linemen anyway. Um, but I think he, you're probably, I've heard anything for him. I know there's like one or two outliers a little bit that call Cooper BB also a first rounder, but I think comfortably he's kind of where Deuce Vaughn is. And I think they're both day two picks just because, of, and just because of his stature and, and running back position being what it is, Yeah. even if Deuce Vaughn has a day two grade, he could probably fall to day three just because of, what ultimately happens with running backs and probably especially one of his size, even though he has some versatility, he can do multiple different things and probably won't just be in the backfield. Of course, he'll also work out of the slot and at the next level one would think. Um, But you know, his stature will probably ultimately probably not determine his success in the NFL, but it could determine where and when he gets drafted um, for better or for worse. That just Um, Sometimes happens. I think Julius Brent, if he kind of finishes plays and makes plays on the ball this year, because I think no one really you know, questions his coverage ability. Uh, With his length, I mean, he's a legit, I mean, we've all stood next to him. He's a legitimate six foot three, six foot four corner with pretty good speed. Those don't grow on trees. So if he shows some adequate ball skills and starts making plays with the ball in the air, um, then you're probably looking at a guy that, is probably not on many draft radars right now. They could probably fly up as high as day two. Now he's probably not going to reel off a, a really four, three, four, four, forty. 40. I wouldn't think at the combine or elsewhere, which probably makes him not, you know, maybe a first or second round draft pick. We'll see. But I think he can really play himself into comfortable draft position uh, as well. Um, everyone else you're probably quibbling over a little bit. I know folks were high on Daniel green at one point um, and just with his age and And I don't know what he's going to run um, because they might see him as more of a traditional linebacker. If he shows that he can cover a little bit this year, it would help. Or, or, you know, cover on a regular basis. Uh, I just don't know how he fits into the new world of football. I think at one point folks were pretty high on him because he flashed, you know, at a younger age. But I just don't know where he kind of fits into the draft picture now. Khalid Duke? It's hard because he hasn't played much football, right? um he was undersized the last time he played a full season very undersized um because i think he played what 220 pounds max 225 um that's just not going to get you a lot of places and then so he might have to play a linebacker position or a stand-up edge rusher and i think he just needs to actually show that he can do it before i go all in on that front i mean he played two games last year two and a half games um i wouldn't be shocked if there's a lot of evaluators NFL draft experts that may not even know who he is at this point.
0: Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
1: Well, all this begs the question, um, why was it so controversial to Nebraska fans to hear Adrian Martinez say that on our podcast that the, this is going to be the best team? And I'm I'm paraphrasing here. I don't remember his exact words, but most that this talented. will be the best team he's played with?
2: Yeah, he said it was the most talented. and
1: Most talented, okay.
2: Nebraska's are probably just living in you – know, they have to if they want to be happy, but living in the past a little bit and just – Assuming this is, you know, a lot of a uh, Kansas State. I mean, Kansas State hasn't had three guys drafted since when? So, you know, maybe they have something to something to argue here. But I don't know uh, that they.
1: I'm sure that they're doing this based on recruiting rankings. But are, is Nebraska an NFL draft factory right now? Are they no. pumping out dudes to the NFL draft? Have I missed that? Like, where where are the Nebraska stars? Yeah. In the I, NFL right now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, I, it's a kind of a, like a superiority complex a little bit, I would say, um, just assuming that you might be more talented. And we kind of delved into that. But, you know, when you win three or four games, you know, constantly and you assume that you're still a really talented club, something's wrong.
1: Yeah. All right, Cole, you want to jump in on this? You want to get on on some Nebraska? Hey, come on, man! Oh, water's I mean, warm, feels good. I mean, they've got in
3: and Sue in the NFL, John. I mean, I know that was twenty-five years ago, but I mean, twelve years ago when he was actually drafted, I'm uh,
1: pretty sure Indomik Sue played against Colt McCoy, didn't he? Like, yes,
3: yeah, in the Big Twelve title game, right? When that, and that was when the uh, the second got ran off the clock. What was the situation with that? In the Big oh, 12 they're still whining
1: about that. Yeah, I saw yeah. it the other day because that one of their old former players is doing a national radio show. Who who is that? He was whining about it. One of
2: the top Nebraska players that I think he got picked in this last draft that that went fairly high is a guy that transferred um, from Nebraska Nebraska to Kentucky, Wandale Robinson. Robinson. So one of your best draftable players didn't want to even stay in Lincoln. Um, And neither did Adrian Martinez and all those guys, apparently, either. So,
1: yeah. Well, they're getting dunked on even more. I mean, because. Adrian Martinez did an interview with SiriusXM, like their Big 12 channel, and he came out and said, quote, I want – This was the question was, why, why did you go to K-State and leave Nebraska? And he said, quote, I want to go play in a bowl game and I want to win a bowl game. And, I mean, you know, that, that got dunked on by the Reddit college football account, by the 24-7 sports. I mean, it was like everybody was all over that. So we're doing another cycle where I got to the point by the end of the day yesterday, I was like, man, I, I enjoy – I enjoy the trolling element of Twitter. I almost feel bad. I almost feel bad for Nebraska fans a little bit here. And then, you know, you remember the years and years of dominance and what it was like back in the 90s and all of that. But they're just – they're taking it from all angles right now because everybody knows it's true. Like, everybody knows that is true. If if you'd like to go to a bowl game, it is much more likely to happen at K-State than it is at Nebraska.
2: A little stunned that – adrian and yeah i'm not criticizing adrian martinez at all he speak your mind do do what you want and and say what you want um you're the troller of your own journey here um when his comments on our show three ma went so viral about saying that you know this is probably the most talented team that he's ever been a part of when that went so viral I thought maybe that might shy him away a little bit because he's like, "Ah, I guess, you know, maybe realize how that could be seen as a shot taking, taking a shot at Nebraska. So I was like, oh, he'll probably dial it back now. But he basically makes a similar comment on Sirius XM. And that's not to say where I think he's really leaning into and doing this on purpose to Nebraska fans. I'm not. I guess I wanted to take it a different route. I think for him not to dial it back and to not be deterred by that going viral and Nebraska fans probably saying, well, it's your fault that, you know, we haven't won. I think him not shying from that kind of shows to me that, you know, he is very – the comments that he's making are with a lot of conviction. He's very confident in what he is saying because if he felt like I should dial it back with this going so viral or, um, you know, pissing these these fans off and I don't want to – I mean, I think it would be easy to maybe dial back and not say some of those comments, but him being so transparent and kind of just continuing to be insistent upon it, I think he believes in it like 100% in his heart, which if you're a Kansas State fan, if you're folks like us, that kind of it kind of validates our thoughts on what this team's ultimate potential probably should be this season.
3: Yeah, I don't think he's trolling Nebraska fans. I don't think his intent is to do that. I think I think he's very transparent and honest and speaks his mind, and he genuinely believes at Kansas State that this is the most talented team he'll have played on, and, and I believe that as well in all likelihood. They might have won the recruiting class rankings, but in terms of development and you look at all you – know, you look at guys like Felix and Cooper Beebe, those guys weren't highly touted recruits, and look, now they're going to be NFL draft picks, right? So it's not all about the recruiting class rankings we hit on that already. And look, I also don't think Adrian Martinez is intimidated by Nebraska fans. He had to deal with their irrational reactions over four years, right? So he's used to dealing with that fan base and them coming at him in the comments on Twitter to our podcast or anywhere else. I don't think it really bothers him. But again, I don't think his intent was to to make it personal with Nebraska. You listen to his podcast that he has on Athletes Unfiltered, yeah, I, I don't think he goes about it that way. And so I have a lot of respect for the way that he speaks about the situation and um, really just appreciate his openness and honesty.
1: I totally agree. I mean, look, the bottom line is, like, to quote the great Lizzo, truth hurts. Truth hurts, Nebraska fans. Like, that—that that is the truth. I mean, there's just and, – and honestly, I, I, it feels like those that do try to still argue about it on the internet, that's why it's so fun. It's like, I mean, it's – Bringing a knife to a gunfight, you know. I mean, they've got no real ammo, and it's just a bunch of stammering around, and that's why it, it becomes pretty entertaining. I'll throw like-
2: I'll throw one carrot to Nebraska fans. I looked at I looked at their schedule, like if it's there's ever a year that they're going to finally make a bowl game, it better be this one. I mean, there's with it's, that. It's
1: pillowy soft, pillowy with that, soft with
2: the beginning of it, especially. Oh, now ultimately you have to play Oklahoma, and I realize that's a daunting task probably, although this might be the, the lightest Oklahoma team you're going to play. But other than that, you I mean you're playing Northwestern in Ireland, North Dakota, Georgia Southern. Then you, then you host Oklahoma, obviously, but then Indiana at home, go to Rutgers, go to Purdue, host Illinois. I mean, that's an eight game schedule that if you're just a, an average to solid football team, you should be five and three at worst at worst. And, in, in that's probably being generous. I mean, that is a very light schedule.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, maybe the, the end of the schedule here is probably there, there will be people that will disagree with me on this. And I know what Michigan did last year, but like, let me just think you, you rattled off the beginning of the schedule, Nebraska fans, like the one comeback is really like, Oh, the big 12 poverty conference. We're in the big 10. I would kill to see what K state would have done against Nebraska's big 10 schedule over the last five to 10 years, man. Like, you're going to hold up the Big Ten, and here's what it – Indiana, Rutgers, Purdue, Illinois, Minnesota. We're in the middle of November, and that's been your conference schedule. Illinois, Rutgers, Purdue, Illinois – or, I'm sorry, Indiana, Rutgers, Purdue, Illinois, Minnesota. Give me a break. like. And then, yes, you finish the year with Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa. But, like, dude, do not hold this conference up. Like, this is some big – feather in your cap and that's why you've been losing games. You've been playing a garbage schedule. I don't this is where I, I need the Colmanbeck research department to go look up like yeah. SOS numbers from the last five to ten years because I'd be very curious
2: about yeah because there's a point where Oklahoma Kans State this year in a row consecutively is going to play Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Baylor, Texas, or Oklahoma State, Baylor in Texas for sure. Those three. And and, if, and obviously Texas is, is Texas. They went five and seven and lost to KU. So I shouldn't like, you know, anoint them as anything, but they're, they're – no. they're Texas is more talented than any team maybe outside of Michigan on Nebraska's schedule. So I'll give them that. And at well, the same and, time I – mean,
1: ask, ask Chris Kleiman how it's gone playing against Texas so far.
2: Right. Oh, wow. and then, but I was going to say – but the other two, Oklahoma State and Baylor, like <sighs> until the last three games of the season when Nebraska plays Michigan – wisconsin and iowa there's not a team on their schedule that is going to even come close to oklahoma state or baylor and and that's not even considering the two schools that are leaving for the sec so i just yeah i really have a hard time accepting the schedule the big 10 argument from nebraska when you play in a big 10 west and you're missing ohio state you know i'm not really going to give you a lot of
1: sympathy nope nope none here none here all right you guys ready for some questions We got some questions. Let's go. Uh, the first comes from Punxitani Rich. Punxitani Rich says, (laughs) How would you grade the current basketball recruiting class? And here is kind of the elephant in the room that we've avoided until right now. There has not been a whole lot going on recruiting wise. Basketball right now is still, is it it's five scholarships open, right? They're at eight and have five to go. Uh yeah. Cole, you, you've been really following all the potential transfers and everything. I, what is your opinion? I'll let you go first. What is your opinion uh, on where this is at right now and where it's going? If I'm
3: giving it a letter grade where they sit today, I would say a C. Um, you know, it's there's obviously, I, I like some of the high upside guys. I've defended what they've done to date, but they need some proven scores from the transfer portal. And I don't know where they're going right now with that. I mean, we're now sitting in June 9th and there's no clear direction. We, we don't have, we don't know if there's guys coming in for visits. We know they've turned a few guys away that they looked into that were talented scorers, but they deemed not to be fits necessarily, uh, which I, I respect that, but they got to get some dudes. I mean, look, they're sitting at eight scholarship guys. And to me, I'd elevate this class to a B B plus if they could get a couple guys who have proven that they could score um, at the college level. And, you know, when you look out there right now, Kerwin Walton is a name that we continue to hear, but he's reportedly visited Texas Tech, Memphis, Clemson. K-State was included in his top five, but we've never heard anything about him visiting Kansas State. Uh, Emmanuel Acott, D.Y. could speak to this, they looked into, but that's not going to happen. Isaiah Mosley, they looked into, determined that not to be a fit. Now he's at Missouri. Um, And so there's not as many options in the portal now. I think there's still some talented dudes, Cedric Henderson, but he visited Arizona. He's a Campbell transfer, talented scorer. He was uh, reportedly at Texas Tech last week and now visiting Arizona. So I'm not sure K-State's going to get a visit there. Uh, we know Jareem Dowling is in Tijuana, I believe for a, a FIBA basketball tournament played there right now. That was the location they settled on for for that tournament to occur. So he's scouting there, I believe. But uh, look, I... Aside from Kerwin Walton, Cedric Henderson, David Jenkins—it's a guy we threw out last pod. Uh, a couple of the K State coaches follow him on social media. He's a Utah transfer, transferred to South Dakota State, UNLB. So he's been at three different places, but he can really shoot the ball. Uh, he's a 41% three-point shooter in his career. If you could get, if you could say right now that you could land David Jenkins and a Kerwin Walton, because Jenkins is six one. He could play the two. And then Kerwin Walton could actually play some of the three. He's six foot five. He's a career 40% three-point shooter. I'd be really ecstatic with that at this point if they could get those two dudes. Those are guys that I think are talented and can score and they can really shoot the ball. Marquise Noel penetrating, kicking out to those guys. And then you've got the bigs. I I I like the length that they've gotten. It's just they they need more guards that can score clearly.
2: Yeah, I don't really have a ton of to build off of that. I would just say, if, if, you know, asking me the question, I'll answer it. The, what they're great it would be incomplete just for me. Um, I know that's, you know, kind of copping out a little bit, but that's what I'll do. Just because I like what they have. They just need more. And yes, and I and I will relent that the window and maybe the the pool to get more is really narrowed on them. It's probably going to be a bit challenging to maybe reach a, a reach a really significantly high grade um, in my eyes, just because I, I don't know that there's a ton available out there that could really elevate it uh, a ton higher than what it is now, you know, getting a guy like Herb Walton would surely do that. Um, we'll see how realistic that is. And maybe in the next few days to to the next week, um, they've already started workouts. I think those began on Monday. Um, so I would just say incomplete. Uh, and does not make it a little bit challenging to go through those workouts right now with only the amount of players they have uh there's probably some hurdles there that they can likely overcome for the time being i'm, I'm just not sure you want to handle that or operate that way for an extended period of time
1: and see the the uh, again i think incomplete is fair i think if you force me to give a letter grade um yeah i'm probably around like cc plus because i i, I love what they did with like Carter and Colbert, Tomlin, like guys that seem like they have really high upsides. I just wonder about what that will look like next year. And we are kind of in an era, you know, I waffle between how much slack do you cut a new coach taking over a new program? I feel like in years past, we'd be much more willing to say, okay, I love what they're doing for the future. Next year will be rough. That's fine. But in this era, I mean, we, we saw what Iowa state did last year in this era, you can rebuild pretty quickly and with the transfer portal, you can stock up, you know, pretty easily from maybe easily is the wrong word, but it's it's a very realistic thing to do from year to year. So I think you have to still bring that in here and judge on that. And that part is the incomplete part where I'm just not sure how much they've been able to do in terms of getting legitimate scoring and, and just legitimate bona fide players that have proven it at this level for next year. Now, maybe Cam Carter and Jarrell Colbert are ready to go right away and are awesome. And that would be great. The problem would kind of take care of itself. But yeah, I, the part that is concerning to me, DY, is like, I listen, we moved away from the Bruce Weber era, and I, I know, new situation, blew up the roster, had to come in and recruit basically an entirely new roster. It's not the same situation as Bruce Weber, like in year four, five, six, whatever. But I sat through so many of those press conferences listening to Bruce Weber talk about not having enough guys to practice and having to find ways to get enough dudes and bodies in there and practice. And so, yeah, like when I, when I start hearing that, I'm just, I'm a little, I'm a little triggered is really what it is there. When I hear you say like, Oh, you know, how are these workouts going when they don't have enough guys and we're sitting here and they still have five scholarships to fill. And I, it's like, I just thought we were moving away from that. I thought we were away from that. And I know that it's not like I've seen Tang publicly comment about this. So in in fairness, this is, I'm going off of something you said, but these are kind of where my concerns are at where it's like, OK, and then is it going to, you know, I don't want to get back into this thing where Bruce had where it's you're always adding a scholarship guy or two really late who shouldn't really, frankly, be on the roster. And then you're turning that spot over year in and year out and never being able to replace it. I just I'm I'm a little concerned about getting into that sort of a habit if you're going to go into this year with like three or four open scholarships or just taking guys to fill the scholarships there at, at the end of of the class, at the end of the cycle, whatever you, you want to call it here.
2: My, 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 I guess I would have two responses. One is a little, I guess, in side, a side comment, just a funny one. Maybe I want to jab at Iowa State a little bit, but, um, in fairness with Iowa State, and I, and I know they had Isaiah Brockington, in their, and they're, I don't know that we know anyone to be Isaiah Brockington on this team, of course, but they made it to the Sweet 16 and did what they did. And how many times did they struggle, to score 50 points? as well so you know maybe that formula is not a terrible one i mean they had games where they scored 37 right yeah 37 twice um so i mean if maybe the a good way to get instantly to find instant success is probably to be more perfect on the defensive end and i think that's surely going to be this team's you know advantage Um, one of their best qualities. What they're going to lean on,
1: I'm sure. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, they got length and spades, so that's one thing. Second thing is the late ads, you know, traditionally we're kind of programmed ourselves to think those late ads are always going to be guys that are just practice bodies that are probably going to be in and out in a year because they can't cut it or, you know, they're not going to grab meaningful minutes. And What I will say is some of those late ads – and I know Kansas State's not Baylor, and we can't just say, well, they did it at Baylor, so they're going to not, so they can do it here. I get it. That it's not, not everything's going to transfer perfectly, right? But some of the laid outs for Baylor are were some of their best players. Uh, and one that definitely comes to mind is Jared Butler. I think, I think school had almost started already, and guys were already taking classes by the time Jared Butler arrived. Um, so you you never know what can happen, I guess. I mean, I think it was August or September when, when Baylor picked up Jared Butler. I think it was around the same time when I got Freddie Gillespie as well. Um, when she, what, He was D2, D3 transferred. I guess all I'm saying is like Jerome Tang's at least have been around a program, been around people that are pretty resourceful and creative and can find ways to really backfill a roster in a quality way that maybe we hadn't seen in the past. At least if you yeah. want to see glass half full, that's where you would take it from.
3: Yeah, my, my confidence is not necessarily wavering in the staff. I still trust them, have a lot of faith and, and like what they're doing in the 2023 class. And I think a lot of people's minds would be put at ease, right? In the next six to eight weeks, if they were able to land one of one or two of those studs that they're chasing in the 2023 class, right? A day day aims or a laden blocker. I think a lot of people would put at ease that, hey, they're investing a lot of time in that 23 class simultaneously when they do have some time to actually recruit. You know, they can land those types of dudes instead of having to desperately fill a class here where they had 10, 11 spots open and have to fill those scholarships. I still think they're going to land an impact guy. I mean, that they have to. And surely it is an appealing spot for somebody that is in the transfer portal that can score the basketball knowing that there's there's a chance to come here to Kansas State and really be a dynamic scorer. I mean, I think there's no question the Antoine Davis situation hurt him. I think they were very confident they were going to get him. And that kind of, you know, threw a wrinkle into all of their plans when that when that occurred. And he went back to Detroit Mercy. But I still think there's got to be a guy out there that they're that they're in on that they think they're going to get. Uh, Jerome Tang has said publicly, to his credit, for the last six to eight weeks, that this thing may go into July or August as he works to fill his roster. So it may take some more time. But uh, and, and to be fair, we also a lot of times don't hear about the guys they have visiting and they, might, they may have snuck guys in that we don't know about where they may be sneaking guys in this weekend that we haven't heard about yet. Obviously, D.Y. And, and Flando do a hell of a job at KSO uncovering as much as they can, but the staff is really good at you know, kind of bringing those guys in without a lot of knowledge in a couple situations. So that could very well occur as well. The grade that I give right now of a C can definitely be boosted. I like the guys to what you said that they brought in. But, uh, you know, that grade level can certainly go up here as they complete this class. They're not going to get to 13 scholarship guys, let's be honest here. I think they're going to probably sit at around 11, 12 max and then have one open, which could actually be beneficial because one of the new things that is happening, and I I'm not a, I not, like filling all the scholarships, but something that we have seen start a trend is mid-year transfers occur. In fact, Baylor had a guy that just transferred to Illinois mid-season This last year, and Brad Underwood publicly commented that he likes to have a a scholarship open now for those mid-year transfers. So, I think there's value to leaving one scholarship open for those mid-year opportunities. Talented guys go in, you know, they sign with a school because of NIL or some other thing, and then it's not as it's not what they expected, and they they leave. So, value there, but, but certainly need to get three, at least three more guys, and at least a couple of those guys being proven guys at
1: this level. Yeah. And another thing I will say is a point in fairness, you know, to the coaching staff here. And, and look, I mean, they get the benefit of the doubt from me for a, a very long time. Um, but, you know, one thing that I think if you are starting to be like me and be like, okay, a little antsy here, you know, five open scholarships still, and we just haven't heard a whole lot. It seems pretty quiet. I would say like the, the X factor here is how, how they can actually coach. You know I mean? We're, we're sitting here focusing all on recruiting, But Derek makes a good point. They have all this length if they can be really good defensively, which Baylor has been incredible defensively. If they can instill some of that early on and play the Iowa State way, then, yeah, I mean, there there definitely is a path to still winning games here in the first year. I I think the, the thing is, like, they almost kind of are a victim of their own early success in terms of, you know, Julian Phillips almost getting him in on a visit, and there was a lot of talk about that going on laden blocker like they got into that game pretty early and still are in that game but you start oh, like man these are four and five star kids that they're really in on and we were hearing behind the scenes hey they, they feel pretty confident about some things that they have lined up potentially here and so you just got your hopes up um perhaps unreasonably high early on and it was all just about recruiting we all thought like hey these guys are stud recruiters yurik Malagi comes over from texas that's a stud recruiter like All of it was about recruiting, 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 and we know that this program needed to be infused with better players. But what we're not talking about is, like, what what is Jerome Tang's actual ability to go out and and coach? And how much of an advantage can that be, him actually coaching when you get dudes out there on the floor? So that's a complete unknown right now and something that could be excellent and assuage a lot of our fears right now, if and when that actually happens, when they get out on the court. You got it. Yeah, no, you nailed it. All
2: right. I, no, no, Thanks, that, guys.
3: no, you really no, you, you really didn't nail it. We talked about how they're player development guys, and you know, we talk about wanting to get proven guys, and I still think that's important, but I, I think that there are these the, the guys that they have landed, several of these guys are gonna take big leaps. You know, you look at a David Gasson, I, I like him. I think he could be a double-digit scorer eventually at K-State. And you know, same for Cam Carter. I think he's gonna be a beast on the defensive end of the floor. And I think he's very talented and explosive. And and I would not be surprised at all if he's a guy that gets to 10 points a game this year uh, and plays, you know, 30, 35 minutes. He's obviously probably going to have to. Obviously, we like Marquise Noel. He would benefit, though, from having some more scorers on the outside that can really stretch the floor and open up space for him to drive. Uh, So hopefully they're able to land a couple of those dudes. But I I do think we've hit on their player development ability. And I think they're going to develop a lot of these guys that have high upside and talent.
1: All right, let's let's go rapid fire here through the rest of the uh, questions that we got from folks. Um, Nick, Nick says with Avery Johnson planning a late June commitment, do we see a completed basketball roster or an Avery commitment first? I think the discussion here makes the answer pretty obvious, but I I would definitely go Avery commitment uh, before a completed basketball roster. Not going to be a consensus opinion here. Yep. Yep.
2: Slam dunk. I don't know that we're going to necessarily get a completed basketball roster if the idea is thirteen scholarships
1: yeah yes i i would agree with that i think if you're saying like completed roster like the 10 11 that like jerome tang said at the kansas city catbacker function for instance then you know maybe then that is somewhat of a discussion definitely don't think you're getting to uh to 13 um austin best and worst case scenario for the football season uh best and worst case i mean best case scenario is i arlington are making the big 12 championship game i don't I hesitate a little bit towards it. But, I mean, hell, it's such a wide-open year in the league. It's not like Oklahoma's well, dominant.
2: Well, but if you go, you always have a shot. That's why I just say yeah. get there.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, look, if you want to say best case, I would say yes, winning winning a Big 12 championship. Worst? Uh, I mean, well, look, like Adrian Martinez, if – if Deuce, if Deuce Vaughn gets injured, you know, like we're worried a little bit about running back depth. And if Adrian Martinez gets injured, which he has a history of, or continues to, you know, turn it over a lot. I mean,
2: I but guess man, got, when Sky, Skylar got injured last year, in Miss Gaines and he still figured out seven and five, yeah. and it should have been I, better. So I, 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 I,
1: I would not go any lower than five and seven, certainly. No. You know, I would still, it's, I, I, I think it's
2: a, it's a lighter year at the top in the Big 12. I think we all agree with that, unless Texas just smokes it for some reason. They figure it out. It's a lighter year at the top. But are there more good teams now?
1: Yeah, I mean, the league just seems, it's, it's, there are a lot of teams in a pretty similar position, like in the same kind of like boat. I think
2: Tech, and I know they made a bowl game last year. But Texas Tech might be better. I mean, Donovan Smith's a solid quarterback.
1: I, I think Tech will be better. I'm, I'm fairly bullish on Joey McGuire. I think Tech will be better. And,
2: yeah. and look at West Virginia's best-case scenario. JT Daniels figures it out.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, look, uh, West Virginia fan, look, I can tell you, man, they got mad at me for saying that Baylor should have better pick 12 title odds than uh, that like that. West Virginia fans went from being down in the dumps about a lot of transfers and Akeem Mesidor leaving to all of a sudden JT Daniels and like, oh, my God, like, shut up. We're going to be great. So yeah. I, West Virginia fans are pretty high right now. And I saw that.
3: Uh, I, I certainly agree. I think K State's ceiling is getting to the Big Twelve championship. Look, their floor is going to be dictated by staying healthy. Like I, I think they're going to have a really good year uh, if K State can stay healthy at all the key positions. I think they're going to win at least nine games this year. I think their floor, uh, again, dictated by health. But I still think they'd make a bowl even at their floor. I, I think six wins
2: would be at their floor. Because the assuming they're like healthy let's say the worst case scenario maybe happens with health. I mean you likely still get through the non-conference healthy enough to go three and0 unless Missouri you know, gets you but that's at home so I don't know because then because at that point then you only need to win two or three conference games and I think like even banged up or underperforming, they probably figure out a way to do that. but I'll go back to it like the Big 12 is open for whoever to win it this year, in my opinion, because of how much Texas traditionally and continuously underachieves. And because Oklahoma, they're probably turning over their roster more than anyone. Um, And with the new head coach that has never been a head coach, not not been been a head coach at the Power Five level, Group of Five level, just never been a head coach in general. Um, So I think that's a question mark. But on the flip side, and I know we just touched on this, I don't know that there is as many gimme wins in the Big 12 now as there was a couple years ago or even, maybe even last year. I mean Iowa states turning over a lot but I mean they're coached well enough and recruited well enough to where they're at least a bowl team maybe more um Kansas as much as we can make fun of Kansas for their decades of futility they yes. are a better they are a better program today. Than they were a year ago this time, or two years ago this time. I'm yes, not saying, but not a- I feel like
1: there's there's too much of an overcorrection now in Kansas. Probably. Yes.
2: I'm not. Yes. I'm not saying. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not a gimme win. Still, it definitely should still be a gimme win. But I'm just not sure that these teams in the Big Twelve, and it's probably a good sign because they're going through a transition to where they're going to need to produce clout to to stay in the premier group of college football. Right to stay in that perceived power five but it just feels like to me that even some of the bottom dwellers have taken steps in the right direction now someone's still going to be bad There's still someone's got to be bad right i just think yeah. that every roster has improved every program has improved that doesn't mean they still won't have bad records because they can but i mean the big 12 is just very loaded in the middle right now there's no like aside from ku no terrible program. And at the top, yeah. there's no runaway, you know, driver seat leader either.
1: Yeah, yeah. My point on Kansas, you know, people projecting four or five way. It's it's out of control. They're a better program. They still have massive talent issues. Lance Leipold is not recruiting like a madman by any stretch of the imagination. Let's just back it up a little bit there. I, I think we're getting too far ahead of ourselves on that. One, uh,
2: one, I guess. One, I'll say this: one team that I think might surprisingly take a hit this year, just because of what I did say about the rest of the league kind of being up and i i, I think it, their losses i think are being glossed over too much as oklahoma state i kind of fear that they 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 it's set up for them to kind of take a pretty giant step back
1: rattle through a couple of these here so cameron asked about avery johnson and the washington visit i think just see our conversation earlier about avery johnson there i don't think it's anything to be terribly concerned about is it time for fans to move on from dylan Edwards to start blowing up john randall jr's twitter account instead We we kind of covered that you know i think k-state very well could still end up with both of them. I would say just continue pursuing both of them. Um, We, we talked plenty about Nebraska, Daiquiri, Daiquiri asked if Nebraska were to rejoin the big 12 this upcoming year. Would they be a top five team? I don't think so. Um, I certainly don't. And then uh, let's see, we've got, these are, these are just a couple of fun ones here real quick at the end. Uh, Cameron, you get to pick one of the following K-State football natty, K-State basketball natty, or meeting Kanye. Um, Football natty. Look, I'm, I'm a man of the people. All right. Football natty. That's, that's the most important thing you could have on that list. And I will do that. Plus look, yeah, much as I love the guy, if I met Kanye, he'd probably be like, why do I care about some random dude from Kansas city? Like, I'm, I'm not sure that that meeting would go the way that I really want it to. Uh, Cole, I'm supposed to ask you from Derek about the uh, 2009 Kansas state boys basketball, two, a state championship. If you'd like to address that.
3: Well, uh, hell of a player, Derek, player loggy, uh, We'll give him a shout out. St. Mary's Bear alum, two A state championship in Bramlage Coliseum. Uh, I covered that whole tournament. That would have been yeah 2009, right? So, I, as I recall, actually, I kept running upstairs to the uh, to the media room to watch on TV. K State was playing Texas in the Big 12 tournament at the same time as uh, during that two A state tournament. If you recall, that was the year Dexter Pittman. Texas, K-State needed to win that game to get in the NCAA tournament. K-State lost a tight, close game. uh, And I covered that entire 2A state tournament, um, girls and boys. And Derek grew up in a town eight miles from where I grew up. I'm from Rossville, Kansas. He's St. Mary's. We're in the same school district. And uh, it was really cool to see Derek hit that game-winning shot at the buzzer to win the state championship. And then uh, he got the best interview in his life afterwards from a reporter at the Topeka Capital Journal, the, uh, the K-State correspondent Cole Manbeck gave him just a, a bunch of very thoughtful questions. I'm sure it's the best interview he's ever had. And uh, we, we highlighted him in the story afterwards, but it was, a, it was a good experience. Cool game.
1: All right. Uh, our friend Mason asked if Saudi Arabia had a college conference <laughs> that paid out more than the big 12 should K-State join. Uh, yes. Yes. If they're going to pay you, if they're going to pay you, I mean, what are these dudes getting paid? Like, what, what, what is uh DeChambeau getting paid? It's a r- ridiculous amount of money. If you can make like big 10 TV contract money by going to Saudi Arabia. Yes. Play the games in Saudi Arabia.
3: That doesn't seem like a great fan experience for us.
1: No, I know. I don't know. I, I have, I just, I thought that was a, a that is such a, that a, is, a, that is a such a Mason question. question. from Mason. Yes. Such a Mason question. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, no, I, I don't know. That would, that would suck. Like, think about that. No more, you know, people are mad about losing their parking spots on the East side. What about losing the games to people freaked out about moving a game to Arlington? Can you imagine moving the games to Saudi Arabia, But you know, for whatever sum of money K-State made a nice chunk of change from playing that game in Arlington. Um, yeah. You probably can't do that then. Sorry, Mason. Uh, okay. That's going to wrap it up for us. Once again, shout out to 360 vodka from holiday distillery. Also go check out the uh, Ben Holiday Bottled and Bond Bourbon if that is more your style. But uh, Holiday Distillery does a great job supporting KCSN and the Three Lawn Pod. For Tucker Franklin, behind the scenes, Derek Young and Cole Manbeck, I'm John Kurtz. We'll talk to you next time. See you later.